The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Hi, and welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. I'm Marty Gold. This episode is a follow-up to two previous episodes and much anticipated the first two parts of uh, our exclusive interview with Andrew Marques discussing his victory in court over the city of Winnipeg. These interviews were recorded, this interview is singular, and then we've cut it up uh, into into sections, into segments. Uh, was not under appeal at the time, so the conversations have reflected uh, the reality at that moment, uh, the city now appealing, but Mark has been very strong, and I'm sure he wouldn't change anything that he said. Firstly, about what happened in court. Secondly, about the implications for the city of Winnipeg, the entire mishandling, misstick handling of all matters relating to Parker Lands and to the Fulton Grove neighborhood development, which now has the city facing a tremendous uh, mountain of potential liability potential cost for the uh, expropriation that hearing due as I record this sometime soon uh, and uh, that figure could creep upwards of 90 million dollars with the land value being somewhere between 34 and 43 and then various tax uh, implications etc. So Andrew Marcus has gone into detail he's talked about the conduct of officials at the city of Winnipeg and an, a bad attitude towards business a bad attitude uh, duplicitous attitude. There are people inside City Hall that repeatedly warned more senior officials that this was a wrong way to go, that the proceeding wasn't fair, that they shouldn't be keeping secrets from Andrew Marquez. Those officials continue to do so and then in court were found liable for their actions for deliberately obstructing him as a private citizen. Uh, and the finding of misfeasance resulted in an award of $5 million plus the court costs still, I believe, still being argued uh, through the legal process. Uh, and so in this, and what you hear on the other side of this break, the third part of my interview with Andrew Marquez, uh, where I talk about like just the bigger picture of what does this mean to the city of Winnipeg, the reputation of the city of Winnipeg, that uh, uh, I, an individual putting up a lot of money, staking a lot of capital on a major project, and it's not just a matter of putting up the money, he puts in the work in terms of designing the plans and going to the meetings. He's a hands-on guy, Andrew Marquez is in this regard. And so when there's time wasted and money wasted, it's his, it's his personally. Uh, and, and so this just is something that has gotten around, uh, gotten around rather uh, the notoriety so extreme, so, so, so severe that uh, Pierre Polyev made note of it around the 58th minute of uh, his speech to the conservative uh, uh, convention uh, just last week uh, about the city of Winnipeg being gatekeepers and uh, jack, jacking around uh, Andrew Marquez. Now, cities use overwhelming fees and lengthy processes and uh, and uh, the cost, cost of housing when you can finally get it built, if you can get it built, just goes through the roof. And it's discouraging to people like Marquez, like Gem Equities, that want to be able to, uh, to be competitive in this field. And so after this break, more from Andrew Marquez. He's going to talk about city council. He's going to talk about city hall. He's going to talk about about governance. He's going to talk about uh, the, the, the way the city treats businesses and how this, what this does to the outlook for our city when viable capital, investment capital, infrastructure capital sees what's going on here and then looks elsewhere 
to do business. Very drastic effect on our city. More with Andrew Marquez in our exclusive interview series as we continue the Great Canadian Talk Show. The information you need but can't find anywhere else. A lot of you know what would hit the fan if at any point anything were to come out from this. But we have that information. The tradition of investigative journalism for Winnipeg restored. You will not believe the latest kind of garbage being crammed on a curriculum that has nothing to do with reading, writing, arithmetic. Actionline.ca This is the priority at City Hall. Like prostitutes. There's money being waved around. We better go do whatever it is so we can get the money. Now whether it makes sense doesn't matter. Featuring the Great Canadian Talk Show. Where do the people go to be heard? With Marty Gold. With Marty Gold. The Great Canadian Talk Show podcast is brought to you by Midpoint Auto. Vehicle sales at wholesale pricing. 1.99% financing on new cars. 6.99% financing on great used vehicles. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs. That's not all. Off-road vehicles, campers, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, even boats. If you're the market for something with an engine, then that's the place you want to go. MidpointAutomotive.ca. The phone number, 833-997-9930. Again, that's 833-997-9930. Midpoint Auto, bad credit approved, good credit rewarded. If you're a listener of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, let them know by giving them the promo code. T-A-L-K, the word talk. That's the promo code, and you're sure to get a great deal from Midpoint Automotive. This uh, particular episode of the Great Canadian Talk Show is, of course, revolving around more of our excellent conversation with Andrew Marquez of Gem Equities. Um, we've discussed in uh, previous installments, and the links to those previous episodes are in the episode description. Uh, we've discussed the court case in which uh, he, his uh, counsel, Dave Hill, successfully proved the city of Winnipeg had engaged in deliberate acts uh, against him as a private citizen uh, in his development of the Parker lands. Uh, and uh, uh, as well, we've also talked about the pending, exp- as we recorded at the pending expropriation hearing, that could end up costing taxpayers up to another $90 million on top of the five plus that the first round of court is, uh, has. We see that the expert legalists down at City Hall continuing their fine record of being the biggest bunch of losers going. Personal opinion, Marques has not said that. I'm saying it. I personally, I don't mind saying now, some of this behavior to me, that he's been victimized by, and he has been victimized, is clearly clear by the court decision, clear by the evidence. This this reminds me of stories you'd hear about New Jersey or Philadelphia or Chicago. It's like City Hall's running like a racket. This behavior is uncomfortably close to criminal, where the backstop is your wallet. Where these people have engaged it's down at City Hall, these various employees, including two found liable by the city, by the courts from the city of Winnipeg, as well as, as, well as the city of Winnipeg itself, because the internal warnings issued by uh, other employees going, hey, wait, we should be telling Andrew Marquez we intend to expropriate land for a retention pond. And the keeping secrets, everything else. This is like criminal behavior, folks, and you're expected to pay for it. And there's no accountability that we've seen whatsoever from 510 Main Street. Now, in the old days, maybe some of this stuff all went on in secret, right? Back rooms, the Board of Commissioners, the old days. 
I'm not saying Nick Dacu ever did anything like this, but who knows what went on in the days of Mayor Juba, Mayor Nori, and, and even God, God knows what went on when Sue Thompson was running things. <clears throat> but there's something called the internet. And now Winnipeg is famous not for positive things, but for something very negative. Because people in the building business, people in the development business, people with big money, they have heard about this decision. They have heard what's gone on. And one of our listeners presented me with some, some points that they wanted me to run past uh, Andrew Marquez. The public really needs to know what this means for the future of Winnipeg housing investment, given that project builders are rightfully unwilling to operate in such a poisonous environment. Feel the question, Andrew, go right ahead. What does this mean when somebody sees how you've been treated about whether they want to put their money down and deal with City Hall and the permit department and everything else, as opposed to going to pick some examples that ran off the top of my head. Headingly, East St. Paul, West St. Paul, Rosser Municipality, La, uh, LaSalle, am I pointing in the right direction from your office chair here? LaSalle, Lorette, right? Correct. Sanford. Correct. How do we prevent this flight of capital to other municipalities, or to Regina, or to Saskatoon, or to Calgary, which is booming, instead of people taking that risk in Winnipeg when they see how you've been treated for taking that risk. How is this going to affect housing investment and, and other investment in our city? Well, I, I think you've seen over these last few years, look at the growth of all these neighbor and neighboring municipalities or bedroom communities. I mean, they've had exponential growth at the expense of the city. So that's for sure been going on. Um, and, and I think you're going to see the next um, kind of shoe to drop in all this is, you know, there is a housing affordability crisis in Canada, especially in, you know, the bigger centres, Vancouver and Toronto. And, you know, you see Calgary certainly picking up a lot of people that are willing to come from those places and, 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 and uh, want to live there because of on a cost of living. But the question is, will Winnipeg ever get any of that growth? And I think it's important. Cities need to grow. Um, and I think cities, you know, cities grow, they stagnate or they decline. But I think healthy cities grow. And, and will we grow? Yes, we will grow. But what kind of opportunities are we losing? Because definitely when you put uncertainty, you know, there, there's issues. From a development point of view, you know, you have to think about regulatory risk and you have to think about market risk. But the one thing that's that's always been taken as a given in a country like Canada is that you your regulatory risk is never a problem. Like governance is never a problem here. That's why you have a flood of money coming into the United States and Canada from Canada from other jurisdictions because we have rules and regulations. So now we find that, you know, in this particular city that you will have a government that can intentionally target a developer, slow, frustrate, thwart a development on a political whim. That will have a chilling effect to some effect. And, and, and that, that goes back to what I, I referenced, that this is like criminal behavior. You start squeezing somebody like this, uh, and other people are going, well, this isn't right, and you should let them know about this. And, and, and the, the, that plan you got that said nothing about a retention plan or the, the, guide, the guiding document about how to deal with City Hall... I, as it relates to housing, um, the lack of housing now is affecting 
and uh, I'm speaking of Winnipeg, we know this is going on in Toronto and other centres. You have a flood of, of, of uh, immigrants from other lands. Uh, they aren't necessarily business class immigrants, right? A lot of them are of refugee status or barely above that. Student visas created a housing crunch to the point where the federal government finally had to say, maybe we got to ease off on the student visas a little bit. Um, th this listener had a really interesting point that, that I've seen in the course of my travels in the last few months, um, uh, hosting the CW wrestling shows all across Manitoba and in Saskatchewan. So I've been to all sorts of places I've never been, been to before. And, uh, the point was made, have you noticed all the jobs in the rural subways, the Burger Kings, Tim Hartons, the nail, nail parlors? There are people who came on student visas, uh, took cheap hospitality trading to get fast-tracked immigration. Why in these rural areas? Because it's the only place with housing. So this is going to affect, also affects the labor markets. And the availability of, of not just cheap labor or unskilled labor, so to speak, uh, but, but also... Uh, you know, business class labor, uh, advanced science, like STEM, uh, STEM students, STEM practitioners, if I can use that term. This lack of housing squeezes the quality of life out of a city. And I, on our podcast, and I know, I realize that you've got better things to do to listen to what we we have said for the last, uh, you know, 50 some odd episodes so far this year. But I have often, because I had cousins grow up in Windsor, when I was a kid, we go to Windsor, Ontario, and I have often used the term Detroit, the donut syndrome, the collapse of Detroit that I've seen gradually build here that I predicted many years ago, we could see it happening in Winnipeg in the 1990s, where you end up with a hollowed out core and all the infill housing might make Matt Allard happy, but all the infill housing in the world is never going to be able to you know, really remediate what's going backwards. So how does the city provide now after the embarrassment, which although they don't feel any shame, they don't feel any embarrassment, but people on the outside looking in how do we convince them that this is a safe place to park your capital and to try to make some money by, by going into the, whether it's a building business, actually being the landlord, actually, you know, handling the rental side of it. How do we convince people this is a worthwhile economy to participate in? Well, I, I think it's simple. It's, it's leadership uh, amongst the elected officials that says this is wrong, um, accepting what the court said and showing that there will be a different path moving forward. But, at, but as sense. we record this, the court ruling specifically made exemplary exemplary damages because of the way you were treated as a uh, as a in recognition of the as I think the term used was flagrant abuses of authority, right, and discretion. I haven't seen anything in the realm of of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, contrition from City Hall. No apology, no acknowledgement that they were doing things. There was the <laughs> Look, I'm going to say this, and I'm not saying specifically about the city of Winnipeg because I don't think they necessarily treat somebody like this, but generally speaking, it's like, hey, listen to a situation like that, and the first questions people would ask is, well, is the guy black? Is he Jewish? Like, what's going on here? Like, why is he being singled out? And there's no obvious reason why, but this is the stench that it has, and there's been no clean sweep at City Hall. When I did the first the, the first uh, interview with you, we commenced this interview series, Michael Robinson was still employed by the city of Winnipeg. Correct. That makes no sense. Even, even Russ Wyatt recognized that that wasn't okay. He might be defending Orlico, but even he said that that didn't make any sense. 
that that Robin at least he wasn't even put like on leave. Not even what do they what do they call it? Suspended with pay, garnished. Nothing's happened. There's no consequences up and down the line. Now I realize some of these individuals you dealt with in the early days who may or may not have been cited in the court case, but like Barry Thorgrimson, I remember his day. We used to give him a good going over on the show in the old days. He's long retired. Some of these individuals aren't on the scene, but some of them still were. Some of the people in the planning department certainly were. And there's been no consequences. There's been no leadership. How do you define the public good if not by protecting the public interest by holding the administration and counselors accountable? And I think that's the question that really, you know, City Hall is facing. I mean, the public good, it, it, the way they've defined, the way some people have defined the public good is status quo. What was talked about in that court, court case is status quo today, as you and I talk. That's horrifying. But that's horrifying. Like, to think, to think that any... I'm just going to give you an example. Somebody owns a, owns a, a property and it's got, uh, uh, you know, four or six or eight units. And they're going to go for a rezoning. Or they want to, like, pay, you know, and realize it costs more money. But then they want to pave over the parking instead so it's not a poor surface. And they got to get zoning for that. And that's going to cost them more money. Or, like, build a garage, tear down a garage. The thought that any single Winnipegger who's... Not how many units it was it that you were putting up over there? One thousand nine hundred. They could treat somebody with one with, with like like one property with six units, a, a triplex, a small landlord could get treated like crap the same way you were, picked on, made an example of, uh, uh, not told what's really going on, made to jump through hoops. Maybe they need to expropriate that corner over there for a nice two foot square retention pond. I don't see how things are going to improve if the city just whistles past the graveyard and pretends that this is normal and acceptable. I had a lot of calls. There, there are a lot of unhappy people. This has happened in various circumstances. In, you know, in I hope you're telling them to give me a call or to email me so I can get them on the air. <laughs> no, I, it, 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 you know, to go back to your investment, the city chose to thwart delay the supply of 1,900 units. That's nuts. And think of where we're at here today. Vacancy rates are dropping. Affordable housing, it's it's hard to find. And that was a decision by the decision makers at the city of Winnipeg in the public good was to slow this down and, and to the point they never wanted this development to move forward. We had to go to court to ask the court to, to make the public administration, the public service, yeah allow the, the applications to go to council. And, and then they were, and we never talked about this, the other two, and I, I, I want to get to this, contempt. That councillors willingly, willingly try to defy a, court, a court's direction, and then council, the councillors try to make excuses for it. The lawyers try to make excuses. Well, the court got it wrong. How does the court get wrong? You're in contempt, you're in contempt. Remediate the contempt. And they doubled down. They refused to accept contempt. Why does the city of Winnipeg, why do the people of 510 Main Street think that they're above the courts? Again, great question. They refused to accept contempt. They asked the court to set aside contempt twice. It took two years for them to essentially purge the contempt and allow the applications to move forward as the judge suggested. And that, and that was Judge Justice Grammond, I think? Justice Grammond. And, and just refresh my memory, the contempt 
was committed by a committee of council. Was it the community committee? Community committee. So at the time, that was Orlico, Sherry Rollins. And Cindy Gilroy. And Cindy Gilroy. They're all still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and all voted against the, the project. They all voted to be in contempt. And it didn't cost them a dime. Not a dime. That's the sound of my pen dropping. And when I, my opening remarks at that committee hearing in November of 18, I said, we're here because a court said we had to be here. Yeah. Councillor Gilroy said, do not talk about court. If you do, we're not moving forward. I said, well, I think we have to talk about court. Don't talk about court. Which is interesting. I guess you don't want to talk about court when you're in contempt of court. He's, I mean, you're looking at me with a, and you're smiling because of, like the stunned look on my face. I wish I'd have heard that. I, you know, I only commented peripherally about the, the embarrassment to the city of being in contempt like this, of councillors like trying to behave in this manner in the face of a court order, right? This isn't the normal course of debate, the normal course of uh, bylaw, passing bylaws or zoning decisions or something. Uh this goes back to governance. And I, I, I've been waiting for this to come up in the provincial election, which, uh, uh, which we're covering extensively here on the, uh, on the podcast, of course. This seems to me that this should be an issue that is addressed by the leadership, the leaders in the provincial election, in particular with some sort of rewrite, revision, reconstitution of the city of Winnipeg Charter. I know that that's a big sort of a, a higher, you know, up in the cloud stratosphere kind of issue. Can you comment on that? On that, that the city is so broken, the province has to intervene, and we have to find out what Heather Stephenson and Wap Canoe and Dewood Lamont think about this. Yeah, I, I, I have a different view of it. I don't know whether it's whether the city is broken or not. Uh, I mean, I have my own personal views on that, obviously. Yeah. But I think here's the bigger question: if you look at the the governance policy that 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 essentially the the mayor and councillors uh, are under the question you have to ask yourself is are there any rules in there that would that would guide behavior or protect the public from decisions that we've just been talking about in the future so in other words this has happened today what is there to stop this from happening again and again and again and again and my my thought process on that is there is nothing. Maybe I have to take that specific question right to the speaker, Debbie Sharma, and, and ask Debbie. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I just look at this like it's in the face of a potential $90 million liability, which again, I submit, that would bankrupt the city. Not, you know, that's one of the things I want to mention to this audience. Maybe you can clarify um, to our audience. When the decision was made, I made the, I know I made the point in the earlier podcasts, and I made the point privately. Who's paying this five mil? To, just the five mil to start with, because there ain't no insurance that covers misfeasance. It's a deliberate act of a behavior that, as I said, borders on criminality. So there's no insurance on this. No, it'll has it'll have to come from a budget within the city unless they've reserved for this loss i don't know whether they have or they haven't but if they haven't reserved for the loss it's going to come out of a budget some budget is going to be shorted five plus million dollars and some reserves will be drained completely finally correct right 
And but otherwise we could be otherwise we could be looking at a tax increase because of the way that you were treated. Could, yes. And then there are probably some minions down at five ten Main Street, and probably some people that are of a <clears throat> less learned, uh, uh, less have lesser comprehension of the factors here among the mainstream media that would probably turn around and blame you, well, vilify you. That's been that's been the modus operandi. Well, I say this publicly. Screw them. The blame goes where it belongs, and not on Andrew Marquez for defending his rights and 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 doing so at great personal expense. Your own legal bills are just enormous on this. Yes. And and again, I repeat, no, not one word that I've heard from any counselor as we record this, taking responsibility, taking accountability expressing remorse, trying to reassure investors that this is a safe place, you'll be treated fair and square by City Hall. None of them want to touch this. Uh, but again, like Cindy Gilroy says, oh, don't talk about court or else this conversation is over. <laughs> this conversation has just started, I would think. Well, and you know, look at the Code of Conduct. Is there anything in the Code of Conduct that speaks to these types of activities by, by counselors, by the elected officials? The question that needs to be asked is, it's not about... It's not about me. It's not about what happened. But can we go through this again and yeah, again and again? what's going to happen in the future? We, I don't think the city of Winnipeg can afford this kind of exposure ever again, that's for sure. If the city of Winnipeg even survives this exposure. And so, you know, I think when you talk governance, that's what you got to ask. The city, uh, there was a recommendation from an integrity commissioner on a complaint in 2018 that yep. said you need to strengthen your governance policy. But that, that, that integrity commissioner also did not have any finding of wrongdoing by Councillor Orlico. Because, so it doesn't have to be reconsidered in light of the court evidence. Because there was nothing in the code of conduct that allowed him to find anything wrong. Uh, but but did that in that did that it. investigation have access to the emails that the court did and the other documents? No, not at all. So not so, all. and I'm not saying people withheld things. You're only going to turn over what you're required to turn over. I get that, but it seems to me that that has to be revisited because we now know the truth is something different. Well, that's a conversation for another day. But <laughs> if you want to look at what was said publicly over that investigation by the Integrity Commissioner, and you want to compare it that was produced yeah. in, in the misfeasance trial, it's an interesting, it, it, it's an interesting comparison. That's it sure all I'll is. Say. We're going to continue our conversation. I, I want to talk about some other broader subjects about the city of Winnipeg, about life in Winnipeg, but especially, I, and I promise you, I promise this audience, we talk about uh, Parker Lands, we talk about Fulton Grove, but I want to give Andrew Marquez an opportunity on a future episode of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast to talk about his vision for this, what I'll call a neighborhood, the component parts, the number, I mean, it's a lot of units, a lot of people being, I don't want to say crammed in because there's there's room there, but it's it's a massive undertaking and it's not like what's went on down Keniston. This is closer to, uh, you know, it's right by Pemina Highway, so it's closer to the, the heartbeat of the city, so to speak, that area in behind the old Pemina Hotel, just to describe for folks wondering where it is. Uh, uh, abounded by like Waverly and Pemina Highway, right, and McGilvery essentially, and the and the and Wilkes ish, right. Uh, I want to give you a chance to to explain what you see, why the neighborhood's good, the nature of transit transit oriented development, um, uh, you know, developing the capacity for people to be able to leave their cars at home, etc. And I I assure the audience, I'm 
there will be some vigorous discussion between Andrew and myself about some of these points I know uh, in the realm of, of modern urbanism uh, and such things. But I want to give him an opportunity that nobody in the mainstream media is going to do. There's not one single television program in this city that would sit down with somebody like Andrew Marques for 20, say, 27 minutes and like the old days with Ray Torgard or somebody and do an interview or Peter Warren. Nobody does that anymore. That's why I'm here. And that's why I'm going to continue to be here for situations like this. So I'm going to give you a chance uh, on a future uh, episode. We'll have another discussion about what you're trying to do out there, the good you're trying to bring to the city, the economic development, the economic spinoffs, uh, what kind of businesses would be set up, be able to set up in this neighborhood as well as just people living there. I don't think you're envisioning it like some sort of a Soviet gulag with all the buildings looking the same and no restaurants or cafes or bicycle repair shops or or whatever. So we'll continue this conversation. Uh, I'd say there's going to be a couple more installments with you, Andrew, if you're okay with that. No, welcome it. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. You're hearing this exclusively the Great Canadian Talk Show. I'll be back with more uh, of uh, this episode to wrap things up right after this break. Do you have a comment, story tip, or want to advertise or support the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast? Email tgcts1 at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at TGCTS. You have the power. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online thehivehaircompany.com. Is your business plagued by thefts and break-ins? Is your residential property under siege by out-of-control crime and vandalism? You need effective safety measures to protect your property. Jamrock Security can help you today. We have the expertise to deliver the right solutions and get your security problems under control. Call 204-880-1564 or contact our website, jamrocksecurity.ca. Do security. Do it smart. Jamrock Security. Marty Gold, back to wrap up this very important episode uh, of the Great Canadian Talk Show. This won't be the last of my conversations with Andrew Marcus. Oh, no, no, no. I want to talk with him about his vision for uh, for uh, the development of Parker Lands in terms of what it would be like to live in that neighborhood if and when it's finally properly built. Uh, and just get some perspectives from him on developing infill in that nature. I say infill, even though there's no existing streets, but it's in an area that is surrounded by existing neighborhoods. Uh, I want to give him a chance to talk about that. And I want to go back to him more. We'll, we'll do a follow-up with him. And by then we'll know what's going on with the expropriation hearing, presumably, uh, and where the court case is, is in terms of the appeals, the costs and other matters. And he mentioned, as, uh, as you heard, he, his phone rang from other people who thought that they got screwed around by the city of Winnipeg. And you know, that's certainly what the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast is all about, but that's especially what actionline.ca is all about being a watchdog for your community, for your businesses, for your concerns, keeping the politicians honest, at least as honest as possible, the bureaucrats the same, and the mainstream media even more so. Uh, we're very lucky. I was very lucky uh, to be recognized as having enough understanding of what's going on at City Hall over the last uh, couple of decades, many decades actually, uh, and uh, and uh, to be respected as a as a a questioner of public figures. 
Uh, some may say interrogator in some cases, and I admit that that can be the case, but but these three interviews and, and the episode descriptions of the previous interviews with uh, Andrew Marquez are, uh, it's in the episode description. Uh, you can link to the previous interviews with him. And it's it was a real pleasure being able to meet a guy who's who's a bit of an enigma, not uh, not well known in the mainstream media. I don't know that a columnist, I I don't know that Gordon Sinclair, a columnist, ever actually wrote anything. You know, sitting down with him about him, I don't know that that that, that side of him has really come out uh, the way it did uh, in our discussions. Uh, but in uh, the first installment of our exclusive three part series, Andrew Marcus tells his story. Uh, in the second part, the city expropriation uh, fiasco, Marcus may get $90 million. And then this episode, to round it out for now, I'll be keeping an eye on City Hall. Of course, a lot more coming uh, after the election. I want to know what you think. I want to know your opinion. I want to know your what what your concerns may be about the role of Councillor Orlico, the the role of, of the civic employees, past and present in this, department heads who... Who uh, there was a, a couple of people that were in the named in the suit, but the court f- absolved them of responsibility because information wasn't passed up the line. Does that mean that their spider sense shouldn't have been tingling though? Again, I'm not pointing fingers, just raising a question about uh, where the checks and balances are, where the the you know uh, what do they call it performance evaluations, all those things. Uh, many of these questions, obviously, heading towards will be heading towards Mayor Scott Gillingham, other members of City Council that I interview. Uh, on the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, and that are subject of of discussions and stories and or and columns, etc., uh, on ActionLine.ca moving forward. But your opinion, your concerns, your observations, very important to this process. Marty Gold Live at gmail.com. and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your support as we move towards the tail end of the uh, election campaign, the the home stretch. Uh, of the Manitoba election as uh, my my coverage continues to uh, to try to keep track as best possible and bring it bring in candidate interviews some news that you don't know some news you might not remember um, different points of view uh, on the election and on uh, some of the issues than you hear elsewhere your support integral to that and I've said it before and I'll say it again whether it's ten dollars or a hundred twenty dollars or two hundred it all adds up and it, what it does is it ensures that the bills are paid and that I'm able to be out on the road, that I'm able to be behind the desk, that I'm able to be getting the work done, making the calls, doing the research, filing the freedom of information requests to not only cover the election, but to do the other coverage that I do on behalf of the community. This is a project unlike um, anything else that's done in Winnipeg. This is the home of public affairs in Winnipeg. And this kind of independent work has uh, has flourished at times but been been the people have certainly tried to keep it keep it keep us keep what we do in our place because they don't want you to know they don't want you to have a platform to rally around they don't want you to have your concerns voiced in a manner where somebody can then carry it forward and ask whether it's mayor gillingham councillor lukes councillor brawadi or any of the political leaders or any of the so-called community leaders serious hard questions that sometimes they don't want to they don't expect, or sometimes they don't want to answer. Sometimes they really don't want to even hear. That's my job. And trained in this field as I was in my younger days by the likes of Nick Turnett, the likes of Yarma Mizrahi, and many others, and with the, the molding of broadcast professionals like Les Seminuk, all the way back to Les Seminuk at CJUM, and through Chris Scott uh, at uh, CFRW, 
and some people at, at CJOB and CBC over the years, believe it or not, gave me some good advice. So I got some very good advice from some, from some people, largely sportscasters, might I add, but the advice helped. Uh, and now to the present day, where if I, you know, I, I have a lot of support out there and a lot of encouraging words, the likes of Howard Manshine, the likes of Peter Young, uh, the likes of Scott Taylor. Again, a lot of these old radio guys, old sports guys, but they get what I do. They understand the passion. They recognize the value of it, the importance of having this kind of uh, option for listening and in some cases option for viewing with our YouTubes. Uh, this is needed in the community. It's with your support. No Trudeau here. No foundation grants. There's no big money behind it. I have no inheritance. But as long as you support me, I'll support you. And as long as you support me, I'll do the work that you need so that you can get the information that you require to be able to make sure that the politicians, that the bureaucrats, that the media, that anybody who you think is trying to put you together, that you tell them, we're catching on. We have some questions. We want some answers. Not so fast. I try to give you that kind of uh, ability, try to give you those kinds of tools so that you can make sure that you make the best decisions for yourself, your business, your family, your community moving forward. We'll have more election interviews, more with Andrew Marquez, uh, more coverage of City Hall and the provincial election, the uh, the various uh, ballot issues that are going to come up. Take a look at some federal issues as well. So much work that we've done, so much more yet to do. And it's all because at the end of the day, we recognize that you have the power. Whether you're concerned. Rush hour, people can't get home in this city angry or motivated which he hasn't mentioned anything about and didn't do anything about when he was in charge because that, that's a small stuff actionline.ca letting you know you have the power it didn't matter if they're ndp liberal conservative they'd say well that's really expensive i'd say yeah you know what else is expensive firefighters water home of the great canadian talk show the point of uselessness when he wielded influence around the halls of 510 main street with marty gold Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at tgcts. I